Hello, this is Tim Conley from the International Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to Trading Thoughts, where we discuss how business is shaping our world. The Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or OECD, is celebrating its 60th anniversary this year. Since entering into force in 1961, the OECD has played a critical role in advancing multilateral solutions to global challenges. As the world continues to grapple with the COVID-19 crisis and other policy challenges like climate change and global inequality, the OECD is in the process of selecting its next Secretary General. Today, we speak with one of the finalists for that position, the former European Union Trade Commissioner, Cecilia Malmström. Cecilia, thank you for joining us today. You're one of the final candidates to be the next OECD Secretary General. I can only imagine how busy you are right now. We really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join us. How has the campaign process been going, especially given the situation with COVID-19? Thank you. It's very nice being with you. Uh, well, of course, it's been different. Um, I think in normal circumstances, you would travel much more uh, and speak to people and present yourself. In this case, uh, most of that has been done on Zoom, Teams or, or what have you and over the phone. I have been to Paris twice to meet the ambassadors of the OECD. Uh, they are the ones who formally make the decisions. So we have spoken in very small socially distanced group uh, and so on. But, but mainly it's been uh, online. That's how the situation is. There's a big comprehension. You save time, money and uh, environment doing that as well. But it's not the same thing. You served as the European Union Commissioner for Trade from 2014 to 2019. During your tenure, you implemented several key trade agreements with South America, Japan, and Canada. You also found yourself in the middle of a U.S.-China trade war, as well as contentious negotiations related to the United Kingdom's departure from the EU. How have these past experiences prepared you to lead the OECD? Well, it's been quite turbulent years, as you say, in the global trade uh, area. So you, you learn to take one one urgency at a time. Uh, but but of course, this has also taught you how to, to listen in, not only the EU member states, because if you negotiate a trade agreement on behalf of the EU, you have to have 27 opinions in your head, sort of a matrix. So you need to be sure that you, you got it right. But also when you negotiate with someone else, either a bilateral trade agreement or a multilateral fora such as WTO or, or G20, um, you, you need to, you develop a certain capacity to listen in. Where are the red lines? Where are the really difficult issues? How can you possibly compromise and a way forward? So I think you you, you learn to, um, um, to to listen in and to try to respect others' point of views while, of course, pushing your, your own at the same time. And that has given me quite a lot of experience during the year and a big contact network that I think uh, can be useful should I be appointed. According to a recent ICC Commission study, the global economy could lose as much as $9.2 trillion if governments fail to ensure developing economies access to COVID-19 vaccines. And just last week, the Italian government blocked a vaccine shipment to Australia. Now the French government uh, looks poised to do the same. 
How would you respond to this worrying trend of vaccine nationalism? And do you think that there is capacity for OECD countries to take concrete action to ensure equitable vaccine access? Well, this is a very tricky question. I can really understand the frustration in in all countries that the vaccine rollout is so slow and everybody is desperate to you know, get back to, to normal life. Um, and we need to cooperate in order to try to make that happen. And in this particular case with Italy, Australia, I think they found a solution be- between them. But as a rule, it is, of course, uh, unfortunate to block exports like this. It, it It is not helping on the long term because I also heard that the EU was seeking uh, more export, uh, more import of vaccines from the US, for instance. So we are dependent on each other. So, so blocking like this is, is only leading to conflict and it's cooperation. I know that discussions on, on cooperation has started all in, in different for us. Uh, maybe if you think on the long term, OECD can probably assist, but WTO would be the best forum to work with. Uh, WHO in order to see how can we facilitate trade in medical equipment, in, in vaccine, in some medicines and so on. Also for the long term, how can we build up joint stocks? How can we uh, take away obstacles and tariffs in, in these issues to prepare for a coming pandemic or, or a new mutation of this one and so on. So this is something where the global uh, community needs to, to react to make sure that we also include the developing world in this. Um, so I'm not sure exactly how to do it, but I know there are lots of discussions going on and I think that's very positive because we're all in this together and we need to cooperate to get out of it. Small and medium-sized enterprises have been particularly vulnerable to the economic consequences of COVID-19. SMEs lack the same resources as their much larger multinational counterparts. Early in the pandemic, ICC launched our Save Our SMEs campaign to, to call upon governments, international organizations, development banks, and other businesses to coordinate their actions to provide uh, support to SMEs. Uh, over a year later, these businesses are still reeling under the weight of COVID-19, especially women-led businesses. Considering small businesses account for as much as 80% of employment in many countries, what can we do to save them? Uh, and how can we also address this gender discrepancy? Mm. Well, that's many questions in one, actually, because we have both the SME issue, which globally is, uh, you're absolutely right, SMEs have suffered much more and they don't have access to the same reserves or the same plan Bs as bigger companies. And many countries have not been able to, to sustain them, so they've gone bankrupt. And this will be something where we will suffer the whole world for a long time. So that you have taken an SME strategy is excellent. I think every country needs to do that. What OECD can do is, of course, to, to share that experience, to, to uh, have peer reviews, to see what works, what does not work, and to assist member countries to, with that knowledge and analysis. Uh, but many SMEs are also led by women, and women uh, have, have suffered more than, than men during this crisis. There's lots of evidence on that because they work in service. Um, sectors, they work in small companies, uh, they work in the caretaking business, uh, and many of them have, have sort of taken, been forced to, to more engage in the children's education when, when school has have closed and so on. So this is also an aspect that when you launch your recovery plan, every country needs to have their gender glasses on and to see how does this affect women? How can we make sure that women benefit fully or even more uh, of, of these reforms or these support mechanisms or what have you. And also here, of course, comparing notes, being best practices, 
uh, will be useful. And that has to be translated into uh, development because development um, and the contribution from the rich world has gone down. Obviously, everybody is struggling their finance ministry. But for the first time in 20 years, poverty is going up. And this is really, really worrying for, for long term. So we need to make sure that, that we can still assist and that we can uh, work with developing countries, uh, in both when it comes to reaching out to, to women and, and to companies and to, to short and long term uh, recovery, uh, working in, in partnership there, both the private and the, and the public sector to see what, what can be done. There's a history there that OECD has and many other countries, and we can build upon that. But of course, we need to assure funding and to make sure that, that we, we are not forgetting because if they don't recover, we will also not recover. So again, we're so interdependent. Um, sticking with the topic of SMEs, with SMEs primarily focused right now on survival, it's, tempty for, it's tempting for many businesses to put climate action to the side. Uh, during the pandemic last year, ICC launched the SME Climate Hub uh, to help small businesses take seriously the issue of climate change. With COP26 approaching at the end of the year, what steps can we take to ensure that climate action is indeed everyone's business? Well, it has to be because we are now all focused on the pandemic and, and we should and its, its consequences. But the big crisis is actually the climate crisis. So we cannot afford to put that aside until this crisis is over. And for instance, in the EU, the Commission and the member states have decided that the recovery fund has to include a substantial part of, of the investment has to be green. I think 37% has to be green investment. That is good. And ICC and others have come with papers and suggestions uh, as well. And this is really important that the investment that and the reforms are done are green, uh, that, that we t- think of long-term sustainability. Uh, small companies have, of course, bigger difficulties there, so they need extra assistance. Here, we really need partnership with the, with the business world to learn from each other what works, what doesn't work, what, what can we, we learn, how, how is a green investment actually done? Because it's a buzzword, but what, what does it mean in, on the field? Uh, and, and what is a real green investment? Here, there's a lot of research. There are reports and, and studies and, and experiences from OECD, for instance, that can be shared and should be shared uh, to, to member states uh, and, and others. They, because, I mean, a vast majority of our companies, a huge majority, are small and medium-sized companies, and they need to get their sort of hope uh, back. And we need to, to show them and to help them do that investment um, in, in the green sector and uh, make sure that they are, are sustainable on a long-term basis. Uh, similarly, it's clear that many governments and policymakers were taken off guard by the current pandemic. Uh, are there any lessons that we can draw from our handling of the pandemic that could help accelerate our achievement of the UN Sustainable Development Goals? Well, I certainly hope so. Now the world is starting slowly to realize that we have a COP conference uh, in Glasgow late, late this year, you refer to it, and uh, most organizations, OECD is assisting with the secretariat there on, on green investments, for instance. Many other international organizations uh, are working on, on trying to concretely assist member countries uh, and, and the world on how will you go about when you do your your, um, uh, your national commitments, because they have to be upgraded in Glasgow based on the Paris Agreement, they will you know have to level up, uh, and, and you need you need guidance on what works uh, in that. I think there will be a lot of evaluation of the crisis in many many forums, G20, United Nations, WHO, all all will be evaluated, and we must really make sure that we 
learn from that and prepare for the next pandemic or, or similar crisis. Uh, because some things have worked well, some has, have not, but we're still in the midst of it. Many countries are in the full third wave. So I think it's hard to sort of evaluate while you're struggling with, with hospitalized and, and dead people. Uh, it's putting a huge pressure on, on, on governments and on, on the sort of health authorities as well. And of course, on an individual basis, it's such a tragedy. Uh, so, so I really hope we can draw lessons and share them, um, afterwards and, and make sure that that next time we are better prepared, both when it comes to stock taking, cooperation, um, vaccine issues, um, medical equipment, and so on. Both the OECD and ICC have worked together in recent years on the issue of digital taxation. ICC strongly supports the OECD international tax negotiations as the basis for achieving a consistent uh, global uh, tax system. Are you optimistic that the OECD can bring together a multilateral consensus on the issue of digital taxation? Yes, I'm actually quite optimistic without underestimating the huge difficulties. But for several years, OECD has sort of hosted these negotiations that take place between 140 countries, which is a lot. I mean, OECD is only 37. Uh, but, but this means that you're gathering all, basically all countries of the world to discuss this. Um, in order to put some some order in the global architecture of, of, of taxation in this particular case. And the technical work is rather advanced. There has been, during the, the beginning of the year, uh, consultations with public society, civil society, including business. Uh, and that, I understand, was very useful because there were concrete ideas on how to simplify, how to clarify the scope how to solve some technical administrative issues. And now the, the negotiations start again. And we just recently heard from, from, from Secretary Mrs. Yellen in, in the US that the US won't contribute very actively to both of the pillars of, 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 of the discussion and that they're looking forward to, to conclude this. I think by the summer or early autumn, we could uh, hopefully have, a, have an agreement on this. And this would be a true historic achievement and also showing the world that multilateral cooperation is good it works certainly set global rules and not you know a patchwork of, of individual solutions which would be a disaster definitely um finally icc has a network of 45 million companies of all sizes sectors and geographies many of our members are in oecd economies while others rely upon the policies developed by the oecd as OECD Secretary General, how would you work together with business to achieve your strategic objectives? Well, business are, are key to this. Everything we've been talking about today, I mean, how, how to make green investments, how to make sure that, that we assist SMEs, how we, we, we um, strategically invest in the digitalization that we have been forced to, to have during the pandemic, but it's very uneven. Uh, and of course, business on the ground can give very hands-on advice on how to do it. So you need to liaise with, with business, also trade unions and others, but listen to, to the hardcore experiences there. There is, of course, as you know, a regular contact with the business community that has a sort of advisory status at OECD together with the trade unions. I think that is very important to intensify those discussions uh, I think they have already. There was a big meeting just last week with the, the leadership of OECD and, and the business community. Uh, and that has to continue, of course, so that we can really form those partnerships on how to uh, how to get out of the crisis on a short term basis. But also, of course, long term, how can we build more resilient economies and societies 
so, so I would be looking very much forward to continuing working with ICC and and the business community and and taking uh, listening to your your experiences. Cecilia, thank you for joining us today and taking time out of your extremely busy schedule. We really appreciate it and good luck with the rest of the selection process. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Trading Thoughts. We'd like to thank Cecilia Malmstrom for participating in today's episode. For more information on the International Chamber of Commerce's response to COVID-19, please visit our website at iccwbo.org. That's iccwbo.org. Share your thoughts about today's episode on LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook using hashtag TradingThoughts. See you next time.